0: Hello. This is Miriam Knight speaking with Ainsley Macleod, the author of *The Transformation: Healing Your Past Lives to Realize Your Soul's Potential*. Ainsley, it, it has such a wonderful cover, and it's very reminiscent of the cover of your previous book. It's like one of these Magritte paintings. Right. Tell me about the imagery of the cover, and t- what is the book about?
1: Well, the the door on the cover represents a portal into Another world, which is the really what I have access to as a psychic. That's where the, the door came about. Uh-huh. And the, the book itself, uh, the transformation is a well. The transformation itself is a shift that's going on. In fact, you hear a lot of people talking about 2012 and big mm-hmm. shifts and so on. Uh, this is about the transformation that's taking our souls taking us to a higher place of consciousness, and it will do it over a period of generations, or you can do it very much quicker by using some of the, the techniques that are given in this book.
0: So th- this is something that's up to us to do rather than something that's happening to the population at large? It's actually, in a way,
1: it's, it's both, because mm-hmm. the transformation will happen regardless. But what you can do as, as an individual is that you can undergo personal transformation which becomes part of that larger transformation. Mm -hmm. And you can do it a lot faster, you can do it in this life rather than having to wait over a period of many lifetimes Mm -hmm. to to, to get to that stage. It's about taking your consciousness from what they call stage three, and when I say they I mean my spirit guides the ones I work with, taking it from stage three to stage four so it's something that's going to elevate all of us eventually. I love the
0: way you just kind of slipped in my spirit guides, the ones I
1: work with. (laughs) (laughs) But you've been doing it as long as I have. It's just like, you know, it's just like having these invisible buddies, you know, these friends, you know, I'm so used to having them around. Well,
0: you know, on digital cameras, sometimes you pick up other energies. Who knows what we might see on this. Exactly. (laughs) may not be so invisible.
1: Yeah, I, I started working with spirit guides about 12 years ago. I had a couple of interesting little epiphanies. And one was uh, when I realized that I should be doing this kind of work. Uh, I ran into a deceased uncle in a bookstore, which was a bit of a surprise. And it was it was a momentary thing. I mean, it, was, it was absolutely fleeting. Uh, he was just kind of there for a second, but very real, uh, with a message about wanting to talk to me and work with me, which was something that I'd heard from psychics before. Mm. And in fact, I... I I was resisting it, but I also had no idea really how to get started with this sort of thing. So, I uh, just sat down one evening and went, okay, let's see if I can do it, and started working first of all with my uncle, just getting an idea of how the universe universe works and how spirit guides work. And then I was essentially passed over, passed on to these um, more elevated spirit guides. The difference being that my uncle was on what they call the astral plane, mm-hmm. where we go in between lifetimes. Uh, they, I mean, we, you and I, we might act as spirit guides when we go, you know, over to the other side after this life.
0: Well, do you think it what was means? because uh, it was somebody who was familiar to you that they wanted to
1: yeah. ease you into this? Yeah. I come across that in my work. You know, a lot of times it's uh, uh, even. In the early days before I learned to protect myself, I'd be talking to somebody, and suddenly, Great Aunt Maisie would come in with some message and something they wanted to talk about. And I learned to to stop that happening because it was really sort of interfering. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the guides I'm talking to now are on a an ele- a, a sort of elevated level. I mean, they're they're above that astral astral plane. the The difference between the astral plane and what's called the causal plane, where my uh, the spirit guides I work with are, is that. Uh, on the astral plane, you get a, a limited view. It's like you still got the the blinders on, even though you're on the other side. Once you get up to the the causal plane, the spirit guides there have. It's almost like the blinders are completely off. They they have access to everything about you, your your life plan, what your soul wanted to get, so sort of came came to this world to achieve, mm-hmm. and also um, information about past lives. Uh, and even the past lives and present lives of those around you. So they have a <clears throat> much um, much broader view of things. And so in, in my work, I'm able to not only work with a person, but I can I can get information about mom and dad and the kids and, and so on as well. Why do you
0: think they chose you to come through to? Uh,
1: a couple of reasons. One is because um, it's, it's to do with sensitivity. It's a lot easier for them to work with somebody who's m- more on the sensitive side. Uh, which I was. It's, it's something I talk about in my first book about soul types. Uh, and I was a creative, sensitive, creative, artistic type. So it's a lot easier for them to work with me. And the other thing was really my personal interest in it. I mean, I, I, was, um, I was fascinated by psychics particularly, because I'd, I'd run into some really good psychics back in, in England in, in the 80s. All of whom kept telling me that I was psychic and I should be doing something with it, and you know I, I felt as psychic as a piece of toast. You know, I just I, I really, I mean, I thought other people were, you know, more spiritual. I mean, I swore, I drank, I smoked cigarettes. You know, I was like, I didn't, I didn't think of myself as you know all
0: the real no, yeah, you know, but
1: I didn't think of myself as the kind of person who would um, end up doing that kind of work and. It was, uh, you know, finally when I had that epiphany, the interest level was so strong. I was reading books on spirituality, I was fascinated by how does the whole thing work. I had another uh, epiphany that came after a prediction came true very dramatically, and I was in a a room in California, my first night in California, and I I heard the voice of a psychic from probably about twelve years before, when I I lived in, in London at the time. And he had said, you're going to end up in California. And I kind of joked and I, I protested. I said, oh, no, I went there once, hated it. He said, there's nothing you can do. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, OK. Well, I heard that voice in this, in this room. And the next day, I just I went to a, a metaphysical bookstore in San Francisco, Fields Bookstore, I'm down there, and just came out you know, with piles of books. I just wanted to find out how this works. If I, if somebody can tell you with with such conviction that you're going to end up in California, and I, I did, you know, obviously I had to take the steps to get there, but it was all like it just seemed like bizarre synchronicities, and um, I realized that something huge must be going on on the other side. Mm-hmm. So I had this huge interest in that sort of aspect of spirituality, and so you know, as far as being chosen for the the work, I mean, it's. It's, it's also something that, uh, you know, my soul had intended before I came mm-hmm.
0: here. So you volunteered on some plane or another.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there was always, mm-hmm. th- there was already that. Mm-hmm. And what I found uh, working with clients is that there's, if somebody has a talent for something, an intuition is a talent. It's uh, it's something that you develop over other lifetimes and you're able to bring into this Life, you know, maybe you don't even do it consciously, but it's you've had the chance to, to build, and it's like music or any other talent that you you need to work on it as well. Mm-hmm. So what I found in working with people who have talents is that they they have the passion as well. So I had like a, somebody who's very talented with music, who was a passion to you know, put in all those hours of practice and learning. I did the same. I just uh, I worked and worked and worked and worked, and I I have clients who will occasionally say to me, "Well, I've tried." Talking with my spirit guides, now I'm not getting anything. And uh, you know, I talk about Malcolm Gladwell's book where he talks about doing uh, ten thousand hours of practice. And you know, it's not to brag. I just you know, I just wanted to do it. I was really excited and passionate, so I put in hour after hour talking to my guides and learning how to keep negative energy out of the picture and keep keep focused and so on. Uh, and you know, I'll say to well, the client, maybe you know, you are doing half an hour is possibly not enough. You need to maybe practice a little bit longer to uh, really be able to hear what your spirit guides are telling you. So
0: when you talk to your guides, do you go into a meditative state? Yeah.
1: yeah. So I start I start every morning when I you go into work. I go into my office and I sit down and I do uh, a meditation, uh, a kind of prayer, which is about protecting myself and making sure. That, so I talk about being connected to the highest possible source for the highest possible good, making sure my I I get my spirit guides to confirm several times that I'm connected with them. And then uh, as people call or come into my office, what I do is I make sure that my spirit guides acknowledge them, which is a way of making sure that I've got the right person, but also that their spirit guides are hooked up to mine, that we're kind of plugged in. Mm -hmm. And and then we get going. And
0: And these guides are here to help you help others, or to teach you, or all of the above? All of the above, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. But we all have spirit guides. I actually often say that it's a bit like um, opinions in certain body parts. We all have spirit guides. It's just not always easy to recognize their presence, or or even to accept that you have them. Mm -hmm. And I'll have uh, people say to me, oh, I don't think my spirit guides are talking to me, or I'm not hearing them, the spirit guides will be saying to me, but we're shouting, we're yelling, and we're not being heard. <laughs> and a big part of this has to do with meditation and stilling your mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why all the, all the kind of major um, epiphanies and shifts that, that I underwent to get me here happened when I was in an altered state or when I was meditating. So hearing the voice of the psychic happened a few minutes into a meditation running into my deceased uncle happened when I just had a session with a psychic who, funnily enough, had said, your uncle's here and he wants to I get working with you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she was probably about the fourth psychic who talked about my uncle. <laughs> but his name was John, so I kind of, like, the, the skeptic or cynic in me kept saying, yeah, John, you know, it's a common name, you know. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a good guess, you know. <laughs> uh, so th- there was definitely this altered state kind of thing. Um, and I recognized very early on that. The, I, I was more psychic if I was more relaxed, and things like, you know, sort of running in. Uh, in fact, this is something that's happened with clients. Uh, I was on the phone to somebody not so long ago, and a couple of minutes into the session, my spirit guides just stop. They say we can't work or work with her in this state. Really? Tell her to go and meditate for ten minutes, and she had. She said, "Yeah, I just came and rushing in." Uh, threw my coat on the sofa and called you, and mm. it, you know they recognised that that was not the best possible state to be in. So I encourage people to kind of get centred, meditate before they start working with me.
0: So it's, a, it's a two-way street. Now, th- the focus of your new book is about healing past lives. Explain to us the influence of past lives on our present life.
1: Yeah, past lives affect us in ways that. Uh, are so diverse, they're unbelievable. So many things you would never imagine had to do with past lives. Uh, So, what I've done in the book is to identify, or help to show how you identify fear by the symptoms. Now these can be things like inertia, just you know, feeling like you're in a holding pattern, you're stuck, you're never really quite getting anywhere. Difficulty making decisions. Uncertainty about yourself. there, there can be issues with betrayal. You know, people respond very strongly to infidelity and that sort of thing. Um, so
0: w- you're saying that they respond more strongly absolute, than the present circumstances would warrant? Yeah.
1: You get, a, you get an overreaction uh-huh. in certain circumstances because the soul re- relates a certain incident to something that's happened in its past, in the previous mm-hmm. life. So betrayal is actually a very good example of that because it's one that a lot of people wouldn't think they they necessarily had you know the uh, things are going fine they never actually had to face the the issue and then a spouse cheats on them and these are the people who will have a nervous breakdown or reach for a carving knife or, or you know in some way go really nuts when it when it happens uh, and it's because their soul is going oh my god mayday mayday this this is
0: we this happened, happened before this happened
1: before we died or we we got imprisoned uh-huh. or something terrible happened yeah so you get that, uh, and that's why you can get two people with exactly the same upbringing who encounter the same triggers. It's called, mm-hmm. and react so differently. Mm-hmm. You know, for one person it's like no big deal, for the others, my God, it's changed my life. So there are all these um, these triggers. Some of them are physical. Uh, what I find is that I, I'll be looking at at somebody's past life, and I'll find that they've been hanged in a previous lifetime, and I can guarantee. They're going to have issues with usually they can't wear turtlenecks or they don't like necklaces or they can't bear any pressure on the throat or if they get stressed they choke up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and By the time these people come to me they often have tried to deal with that problem maybe they think they've got a thyroid problem that's very common to come across that um, the the somebody I talked to just a couple of weeks ago had been shot in the head as a child and mm-hmm. you know I was able to you know not being a smartass or anything, but just being able to say, look, I guarantee you've got unexplained headaches. Because I'm just so used to seeing that kind mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. connection. That, uh, of course, sure enough, you know, they just, they come and go, doctors can't figure out what it is. Uh, and another one that happened just a couple of weeks ago was uh, somebody who had died of uh, burst appendix in a car on the way to the hospital in a previous life. And I was able to say to her, well, I'm sure you have unexplained abdominal pains and she went, yeah, you know, I, I just have to take myself off to bed and it's all gone by the morning. And so, what seems to unite so many of these issues is that there's no obvious cause. You know, what I hear is, oh yeah, doctors don't don't know what, what that is. And by finding out the cause in, in the previous lifetime, I'll, I'll talk to the person the next time and I'll say, you know, how are the headaches, how whatever, and it's gone. It's uh, It's shifted completely. So,
0: what is the mechanism by which we're experiencing the resonances of those past lives. I mean, is it? Is it uh, certainly not in our brains? It must be in our DNA somewhere.
1: It's in, a, you know, the way the way it's presented to me is it's in the soul. The soul has ah. your soul doesn't die.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, you have lifetime death, lifetime. It's the whole process of reincarnation. But your soul is alive throughout. For it is one long continual life, uh, and it has these peaks, these, uh, these traumatic points in its life, and, and these are the death often the death related incidents or very traumatic things that happen to it so your soul holds a memory of these things and that's why a, a fear can sometimes, it can exist in the past, but it's not a, a big issue it only becomes a big issue if it's been triggered mm-hmm. so one of the most common ones that I find is actually a, a fear related to death, is a phobia of judgment, and that's where people have a massive fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. And I used to have it myself. I didn't speak in public for 30 years because I was so absolutely phobic about wow. public speaking. And it was my spirit guide stood me through past life, gave me a little exercise to do. And, uh, you know, the next thing you kind of shut me up. I'm you know, just, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> well, making up for lost time, you know, I've got 30 years of, of, uh, of talking to do. But it's a, what happened in my previous life was that I had been, I had been judged and executed. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever I got up in front of a, a, an audience, my soul was remembering. And again, it's like, oh my God, you're putting yourself in this situation. You know what happens? We, we end up dying. Now, people say, how can your soul not know? But your soul doesn't have all the answers. And that's why it keeps going back. It's, it's growing. It's learning all the
0: time. Mm-hmm. How many past lives do, do we normally have?
1: Uh, I'm glad to answer that, because it's the one correction I could make from my previous book. Uh, Apart from a typo, um, there was this one thing where I said we have about 120 to 150 lifetimes, Mm -hmm. usually throughout the course of all our lives. Uh, The spirit guides corrected me only afterwards uh, to tell me it's not a big deal. But it's more like 110 would be average. Mm -hmm. So most of the people I work with are old souls. They're, you know younger souls don't they're not that interested in this kind of thing, or they think it's too weird, too out there, whatever. So I'm meeting much older souls and by the time they get to me they've probably got about you know, ninety or a hundred lifetimes behind them. So we've, all got, we've always got plenty of material to work with. <laughs> you know, one thing I say is we'll never run out of things to talk about.
0: Now when you, when you say in your uh, tagline um, healing your past lives to realize your soul's potential, right. um, Explain to me what you mean by I mean how do you view the potential? What what is the end point of our evolution?
1: The the end point if you like are these these goals. Now these these are common to, to everyone and the, the soul is the soul is continually struggling to achieve these goals. And they can they can like everything else that my guides talk about, they break everything into ten. And these these ten goals are these higher values, higher core values that your, your soul pushes you to, to act from, but also pushes you to, to seek out in a, 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 a higher and higher way as you go through each lifetime. And there are such things as cooperation, uh, respect, justice, love, peace, you know, it's, those things that we generally would recognize as being higher values.
0: So, what is your guide's opinion on the value of uh, the dark side of negativity, of, of uh, the, the horrible things that you've done in your past lives or present life?
1: Okay. Well, you know, most of the past lives that I look at are where the person's been the, the victim, mm-hmm. not the, the oppressor or the torturer or something horrible. So. Uh, it, it can be very difficult to do that. Most most people will resist doing it and, and it's quite incredible. Uh, I'd, I'd say, well, you know, this is past life we could look at, but there's some pretty horrendous stuff there. Do you want to do it? And so often people say, well, I'd rather not. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard to deal with. And so there are other ways kind of round that, which I'll talk further about you know, in other books at, at some point. Mm-hmm. But what I'm dealing with are the ones that tend to have the, they're, they're the most easily shifted. And they come from those ones where we've been, we've been victimized. I see. And so, they, they, if I could give you an example, one one would be there's a fear of inferiority, and this is where you have people who uh, they often feel submissive, or victims of circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even may be very, very strong in other ways, but if there's confrontation, maybe in a relationship, then what happens is that they back down, or if there's substance abuse they will automatically become codependent. Now what's happened in a previous lifetime is that they never learned to exercise any self-determination. They, they were controlled by other people. It's usually things like arranged marriages, controlling parents, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and never really getting onto their life plan. And if we can look at the past life, see what, ha- what happened in that life, and then use what's called a motivation, mm-hmm. which is your soul's way of saying, you know, here's something I'm throwing out here. It's like, help me. Can you, you can do your part and we can overcome this. It's, uh, it's karmic, so it's balancing. Then you can be taken to this place that they call, it's the goal of respect. Because you know, if, you, if you're feeling like a victim all the time, you don't respect yourself. Mm-hmm. But you get to that place through exercising self-determination. And the spirit guides will show different ways that uh, you can start exercising that self determination. And each time you do, you get taken to a place of of self respect. You feel good about yourself. It's like you you set a goal, for example, and you you bite it off, and you feel good. Hey, I it's you know managed to do that, and so you, you go to respect, and then that takes you back to self determination. It's very circular. Mm-hmm. So people with that can build and build. Uh, and I've I've seen people that. Um, go, you know, go from that place where they, you know, in an argument with a spouse, they they just, you know, they crumble and they, afterwards they go, why can't I stand up to them? And the next time I talk to them, they go, yeah, well I got rid of that jerk, you know, I feel great about myself,
0: and I've got that, that inner strength. Do you find a correlation between the types of issues that arise for a person and your perception of the level of their soul, the level of advancement of their soul?
1: I'm, I'm talking mainly to souls who are pretty old, so that's, mm. that's the kind of perspective I'm getting. There are certain points where it becomes much more important to, uh, to very much older souls. I find that people who are most likely on their last life are very close. You can never be sure until you review the life on the other side. But if, if they're pretty close to that, very often those people are so concerned about making sure that they do, they do the right thing that they mm-hmm. stay in that, you know, it's close to the goals. They don't maybe know that's what they're consciously doing, but that's what their soul is pushing them to do. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of almost like staying out of trouble if we if we, if we act in this way, you know. <laughs> you it's,
0: just want to retire without like, blotting your absolutely. copybook. <laughs> I'll,
1: have, I'll have these really old souls saying to me, I, please tell me I don't have to come back again. <laughs> you know, it's like they've had that, they have that feeling of, oh, jeepers. you know. It's just being there, done it all, they often have a little lack of ambition. I mean, they, they can get fired up if it's something they really enjoy doing, but life can seem just like draining. And then I get, uh, there's slightly younger souls still in the, the old soul half of those lives, who are on a much more spiritual path. So that for that reason, they, they, they're motivated to achieve the goals.
0: Now you have ways in your book uh, where people can actually sort of determine their soul types and their soul age.
1: Yeah, well, the soul type and soul age is stuff I talk about in the the instruction, in my first book. Uh-huh. It's a way to really understand who you and, are. And
0: the title of your first book
1: It's the instruction: living the life right. your soul intended.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and uh, this is a way of understanding really who you are and what you're doing here. What's mm-hmm. your what's your purpose? I look uh, particularly at the soul age, which gives you that perspective I and mean, why you see the world the way you do. It explains. You know, the the divi- divides between us, like, um, you know, why you get somebody who's a fundamentalist and somebody who's, uh, you know, maybe totally the other way, uh, you know, the people who would describe themselves as more spiritual rather than religious. Mm-hmm. Or it describes the dif- difference between conservative and liberal and uh, all those kind of mm-hmm. things, you know, because you, depending on the age of your soul, you'll have a, a different focus. I look at soul type, which is, uh, it's like an archetype, but like a way of looking at your... Uh, personality
0: and does that play a role in your ability to heal a past life
1: uh, no, I, t- to be honest, I think anyone can heal any past life
0: mm-hmm. you just have to identify it and that's the, the main thing there and in the transformation your book The Transformation, uh, do you show people a process for identifying their issues
1: yeah. Well, the first thing is to to really find out uh, which fear you have by identifying the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a common one would be a fear of failure. And this comes from short lifetimes. Usually if you've lived several lifetimes before this where you didn't get to complete your life plan. You died maybe aged 10 or 20, but you didn't get to do all the things that you would hoped to do your soul will have an anxiety, it has a fear that that's going to happen again in this life. Mm. And you can be, I mean you can be in your 60s or your 70s and still have a fear of failure and it will still hold you back because you don't have that total conviction or your soul doesn't have that conviction that you've got all the time in the world to get things done. Mm-hmm. It can, so it can create a kind of feeling of what's the point, you're never going to get this completed, uh, there's no point in starting it. <laughs> um, big issues with making decisions because underlying it, and it's not happening having consciously, but underlying everything, is your, your soul's feeling like, that, um, what if we took the wrong path and we couldn't get back, uh, there wasn't time to come back and take the right path, so you end up doing nothing. Uh, now, the motivation that your soul is throwing out to help to deal with this is curiosity of all things, because it looks at those short lives and says, we missed out on learning, Mm-hmm. Uh, not not, uh, not academic learning, but experience of, of the world. So what I find is that people with that fear invariably uh, are seeking out knowledge. They, they prefer fact-based information, and that's actually taking them to a place of knowledge. Knowledge is one of the goals. So you know, I, I joke that in this culture, people with, with this fear will be uh, they'll show three signs. One is a preference for NPR if they listen to the radio, <laughs> one's a preference for the Discovery Channel if they watch TV, and the, and the third one is a preference for nonfiction over fiction. Uh, because, and I've had so many people, I mean like countless clients just laugh and recognize that, that sign. because and, and so many of them saying to me this, this expression, life's too short to read fiction. Mm-hmm. That's their, you know their, their feeling. They they need to be picking up information all the time. Mm-hmm. I have. I mean, I've, I've dealt with that fear myself, and uh, you know, I'm very, very much through that curiosity. It helps to keep the fear at bay. Mm-hmm. And there's a third part to all this, which is helping to really take you to this this other place, to this this higher goal, and and that's to do with helping others, being of service to others. Spiritual acts is, uh, is what my spirit guides call it. Spiritual acts are those things that we do that generally help people that are less fortunate than ourselves, but particularly if we can, f- if you find something that helps someone who's suffering as you once did in a previous
0: lifetime, there's tremendous healing for you I and that see. person. Very, very interesting. So what is your hope for this book, your highest hope for this book?
1: I'd like to really, I mean, I hope that this actually opens a lot of eyes to the potential for overcoming these fears and that mm-hmm. people will, will use this as a way of getting to that um, higher place, you know, to undergo their own personal transformation.
0: So it's, it's the fears that are holding you back from achieving yeah. all you could achieve in Abs- your life.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Every, every single fear will, will hold you back in in some way
0: and, and achievement is <coughs> not really just you know it's certainly not material achievement
1: yes no. it, it, this is far more than than just uh, you know getting a good job in big house uh-huh. it's uh, not, not just that's not the material success and I mean that can certainly follow on from it mm-hmm. but this is about helping you to be fulfilled and find meaning in your life uh-huh. that really this is something Keeps coming back, you know. When I talk to people who've gone through the process, they've overcome their fears. Well, first of all, they fear they feel fearless, which mm-hmm. which is tremendous, and uh, they start to really recognize that they can do all those things that they wanted to do. It's like um, so. It's liberating. It's liberating. The, the the blocks just they fall away. It's like uh, the fears dissipate, mm-hmm. and uh, after that, there's there's nothing holding you back. It's the sky's the, the limit. It is, totally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I hope the sky uh, that you have pictured in your book uh, will be the limit for the okay. success of the book. Well, th-
1: thank you, and I hope so,
0: too. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. It's been a safe. total pleasure. Thank you. And I hope you'll all join us next time when we speak with Russell Paul, the world's leading proponent of sonic mysticism. He'll be talking about the power of mantras and affirmations. See you then.